Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Passages of Summer edition of the 7 a.m. Novelist. I'm Michelle Hoover, your host. Now, we all know that the early pages of a novel or story are really difficult to get right, as are the first pages of an essay or a short story, probably even harder because they're much more requested and there's much more expectation in there. So we are talking to a whole bunch of authors about their first pages. And today I am very happy that we get to hear from Alex Marzano Lesnovich, who's going to share the first pages of their essay, Futurity, which appeared in the 2022 Best American Essays. Good morning, Alex. Thanks for being on the show. Good morning, Michelle, and good morning to everyone out there at 7 a.m. Um, I've got a cup of coffee right here to, to share, you know, toast with you all and, and be awake for this. And make sure that we are awake. Excellent. Okay. Um, can you give, wait, 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 I've got to give the bio. Alex, because Alex has done amazing things. So I just want to go right into the talking, but I've got to make Alex look as fabulous as they are. Okay. Alex is the author of The Fact of a Body, A Murder and a Memoir. And if you haven't read it, I, what are you doing? Okay, you just need to read it. She it also received a Lambda Literary Award, the Chautauqua Prize, the Grand Prix de la Crise, L, the Prize uh, des Libraires du Québec, and the Prix France Inter JDD, an award for one book of any genre in the world. It has been translated into now 11 languages. Their next book, Both and Neither, is forthcoming from Doubleday and Publishers Internationally. You can read an excerpt from that book, which is called Body Language, in Best American Essays 2020. Uh, Alex is also a 2023 United States Artist Fellow, and they are the new Rogers Chair in Creative Nonfiction at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. So Alex is actually driving up or busing up or somewhere up to Vancouver. So the fact that we are able to get to listen to them today is very special. Okay, Alex, give us a quick summary of the essay and then we're gonna hear from your first pages. So Futurity, first of all, Michelle, thank you for that wonderful introduction. Um, Futurity grew out of that like stuck feeling during lockdown um, when I just couldn't write on very much. I knew I was working on both and neither. I hadn't yet sent the proposal out. I was kind of still making the proposal. Um, but I kind of couldn't get into it. I felt like I couldn't see beyond the moment I was living in. Mm -hmm. And I was also um, engaged in an inherently forward-looking act, which was uh, that I am trans, I um, was an M on testosterone, which meant that I was um, doing this like inherently forward-looking action of uh, first applying and then injecting the testosterone at a time when I couldn't even imagine the future. I couldn't imagine what future I was moving towards. Um, and the essay kind of grew out of um, something my agent said to me, um, where when he read the pages of the book proposal, which was is part memoir um, for both and neither, I'm kind of taking these historical figures who transgender in their own time and their own way and sort of imagining them onto the page along with me. It's a book about community across time. Um, and I had been writing about transition and he said, you know, you, you say what, and I say this in the essay, you say what you don't want to look like, but I can't figure out what you do want to look like. You don't talk about that. And I realized how much I was trouble I was having imagining what we were all moving towards, that it wasn't just that I was having trouble imagining what I was moving towards. I sort of was having trouble imagining um, what the country was moving towards or what the world was moving towards or what was going to happen when and if all this ended and passed. Um, and you know, I write nonfiction. So 
what I do with that feeling? I made an essay about it. I did not at first think I was making an essay. I was making like a blob, just like a giant mess of words. And so um, that's where the essay grew out of. That's what the essay grew out of. I think I started it, uh, I wanna say March or April, 2020 and finished it in December. So it tracked, I put it aside for many, many months and um, and finished it in December and it tracked that that kind of lockdown period and the real estate home and then the first emerging into the world um, pretty closely. It, it is one of the things I have written that is um, uh, like portrays the moment in time uh, most closely, which I, I actually find quite difficult. It seems easier to write about something that's past. So anyway, so that's where the essay grew out of. Yeah, I mean, that is so interesting. So first off, um, Alex gave me some photos of their process of writing this essay. And I have actually advocated for this uh, with other writers and other students, particularly working with short work, but even with novels of basically cutting it into pieces, laying it out on the floor in front of you. If you have pets, the floor isn't always the best place, putting it on a wall, you know, that sort of thing. And so we have a picture of, of this and Alex's pieces are quite small. I mean, some of them just a very thin sentence, you know, just a, a just a part. And so um, I'm going to try to put both pictures because one of them is the mess. Um, <laughs> and then one of them is actually organized and the excitement of that. Um, you know, that's so interesting. And it is, it was at a time you're writing this at a time when there was so much change and there, well, there still is, I mean, and, and both of us are kind of living in other countries and wondering if we should stay in yeah. those countries. Um, but for your transition, so there's a lot of fear and there'd be a lot of fear in your transition, but there must've been a lot of excitement too. A lot of excitement. I wonder if I should read the start of the essay and that'll get us grounded with like, Okay. what what the shape of it looks like and things like that um uh so why don't i start us off there um and this is called futurity um one on a morning early in the second month of the unprecedented time i rise to the sound of the birds and pad to the kitchen in my slippers the air smells of hot coffee snow blankets the roof just outside the window the light glinting off it tracing swirls on the wall wall I pour the coffee, roasty, familiar, confident. A few weeks ago, I would have carried the cup to my writing desk. There said a short prayer to the God of creation, pressed my pen to the page and tried to listen. But now I carry it back to the bedroom where the curtains remain closed. I turn my bedside lamp on and open the novel on my nightstand. I will be in its world, not this one. Two. My jawline has become covered in blonde fuzz, and later, in front of the bathroom mirror, I see it backlit, the fuzz so pale it is visible only when struck by this light. I turn my head this way, then that, looking. The fuzz wasn't there a month ago. So much has changed. When my agent sent me notes on the latest writing I've been doing, he included an instruction that I must search for mentions of my jawline. You mentioned the fuzz here and here and here, he says. He means we get the point. He means the mentions are getting old. But I have lived all my decades with a smooth jawline. To me, none of this is old. I think of change constantly and the way change implies progression. And now looking left and looking right, I wonder what I am seeing. 
what the fuzz is a harbinger of. Will it grow longer? Will I grow a beard? Or will it stay like this, so pale as to be nearly invisible, prepubescent even as time goes forward and inscribes lines on my skin? The future is as unknown to me as the changed world outside my window, the present like a scratch in one of the records my father used to play. Mm. Three. At the start of the shelter orders, a lover texted me that, fuck it, while we are all staying at home, they will grow in their soul patch. Shortly after we met and I told them I was on testosterone, they looked at me in envy. I can't. My levels are already so high. I'll look too much like a man, they said. I'm like you. I don't want to pass. But you, your body takes its time. You get to choose where you land. Four, this lover will come back up, so let's give them a name. Let's call them D. Five, when I wrote that I had just met D, what I meant was that we had recognized something in each other on a dance floor, the floor almost empty, the music so loud as to hold all the space of the place, and our bodies had begun a silent communication, me moving this way and that, them coming closer and then further away. This was still, of course, in the before time. Disco lights looped the floor, some colored in ice blue. The beams cast like shadows had been shaped into snowflakes. Watching the swoop of the carved light, I imagined the sheets of colored polyethane that had made it, that cool blue pressed to a burn like fire. The lights chased us and the music grew louder still and I had grimaced or D had grimaced. They said something, but I didn't hear. I shook my head and they came in close, their mouths suddenly fitted over the shell of my ear. Wanna find some quiet? I felt the sound lap in my ear canal, warm. Then the cold slap of outside, the sudden grace of dark, the stars above us so still. They pulled from their pocket a key. The key fitted the lock of their office, which turned out to be across the street. They knew where the security cameras were. The unlocked closet. Afterward, the two of us, a little punchy, maybe with drink, maybe with flush, we laughed at the irony of finding ourselves in a closet. We who have located whole lives, whole selves in the stepping out of closets. There was a small red light, like in a dark room, and I remember using its dimness as cover to look at them, to really look. The hair, dark enough to be inky, clipped short as bristles. The jaw, square yet soft. Square yet soft. Their shoulders, their breasts. They watched me look, the white of their eyes pink in the light, the mirror black centers. Beads of sweat had formed on their upper lip. Tufts of hair greeted me from their armpit. Their sports bra, two sizes too small, had left angry red marks across their soft chest. I looked at the hair under their arms and the scores left by the flattening, and they looked at me, and I knew what they were seeing in me too. Silence stretched into something cinemy enough to hold us. For the first time, how alike, I thought how alike were the words wrapped, R-A-P-T, and wrapped, W-R-A-P-P-E-D. When they spoke, their voice scratched the edge of tears. I didn't know it would be so healing, they said. I've never been with someone else who, I don't think I let them finish, my mouth over theirs. Six. An incomplete list of things I have heard called queer about the pandemic. The surge in people making their own sourdough starter out of nothing more than flour and water and time. The rise in mask for mask jokes. Or 
What does a lesbian bring to a second date? No, not a U-Haul, a COVID test. Or U-Hauling as a responsible public health move. Cuffing season, sex pods, the New York City Public Health Department recommending people, quote, make it a little kinky with glory holes. The rise in OnlyFans and Findom, which is to say the rise in sex work. Thirst traps, sexting, phone sex, Zoom sex, FaceTime sex, sleeping with your roommates. Spending the holidays with chosen family. The very fact of a pandemic. Loss, grief, the impossibility of imagining a future. Seven, futari, noun. Yes, all right, future time, the sense that there will be a future. The very thing we are all trying to hold on to as we wait for it to arrive. The projected shape that future makes. The shadow or light it casts over the present. But also futurity, noun. A race for two-year-old horses into which they are entered before they are born. Eight. And as a metaphor for gender, maybe that's a little obvious. But also, futurities offer some of the richest prizes in horse racing. Right. There. Absolutely gorgeous. You know, and it's interesting. So I'm actually going to um, release this interview last, Alex, because it's called Futurity. And I thought that that would be a good ending point for this particular <laughs> group of interviews. Don't worry, everyone. We're going to keep doing stuff probably in January. Um, <laughs> Talk to us about how you approach this essay. Have you approached essays in this way before with this kind of fractured, splintered um, way of organization? Really not as much. Um, so I was not writing it in these numbered segments. Um, I'm a big believer in having the structure convey something about um, the content or something that would collapse if said directly, um, but also sometimes trying to say it directly and having the the essay itself nod to the structure if you're trying to pull off something like this. So later on, the voice, uh, the narrator does say, uh, my thoughts seem to, my, my thoughts seem to come out um, like disconnected in these snippets now, um, because I wanted to acknowledge that what I was having trouble making, but what I kept trying to make when I was first working on the essay um, was a, a smooth narrative. And I just couldn't, there was something about continuity that if people can, you know, it's funny that this now seems a bit like a period piece, but like if you cast your mind back just a couple of years ago, continuity was really hard to hold on to. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were stuck in this like perpetual present, but also everything felt disjointed. Um, I think most people I knew were having trouble uh, remembering what just kind of things in a day-to-day -day fashion. And the piece, became kind of about that. So I was writing and writing and writing. Um, I had this wonderful writing group, the Chunks, and I, I brought them like this blob and was just like, here's my blob, you know? And at that point it still had um, uh, the book that I, I mentioned at the start of the essay, for example, was Middlemarch. I, I spent the early part of uh, the early days of the pandemic, like reading two chapters of Middlemarch every morning, just to like be inside of it instead of, um, instead of, what was happening. Um, and so there was this whole thing about Middlemarch. Um, I, oh, and I think there was also like in real life, uh, Dee and I, um, after that night, I did not see them again. Instead, um, I went off to this residency uh, in Florida and this was before the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, they drove down from, from uh, Maine 
to like rescue me in uh, this residency. And we were um, alone in the residency. It shut down around us and we were alone there for a couple of days reading these terrible headlines. And the whole thing felt very dystopian. And for the drive back, we were afraid to like, never mind two trans people driving through various parts of where we're driving through, but we also were just afraid to like, you know, at that point you were afraid to touch anything, right? We still thought it was touch. Um, so we brewed these like two pots of coffee and poured it into the only, the largest vessel we could find at the residency, which it's a residency. So it was a discarded giant absolute vodka bottle. So we were driving. So all this was in the essay. Cause I was just like, I want to convey the mood, but also like, I got some details here, folks. I can share these. Um, and I kind of turned in this blob and um, to their enormous, you know, enormous credit, my beloved chunks were like, okay, you've got something here. We don't know what it is yet. Like structurally, this is not this is not the thing, but like you've got something here, so stay with it. So I kind of kept visiting it all throughout that year, trying to figure out why I was writing this. Where we end up going, you know, spoiler alert, um, the essay ends up being very much about how to how you imagine the future. And it yeah. ends up being in part about IVF that I did. And this is a good example of when the work leads me someplace I didn't know I was going. So if someone had said to me at the start of writing the essay, you're gonna end up writing about IVF, I would have been like, I'm good. No need for me to write an essay. I'm just gonna not do that. If someone had told me when I started The Fact of a Body um, that I would write about this crucial, there's a scar that comes very late in the book. And if someone had said to me, like, you're gonna write about that, I would have been like, you know, another career is looking really good right now. No need to become a writer, I'm good. Um, so there's this sense of like the, the piece of trusting the piece to take you where it is going to go and you discovering what you're going to even find out you're writing about that I personally find crucial to personal essays. Um, but that in this one just like took a while and also meant that I had to follow, uh, this choppy recursion. Mm -hmm. When I think. A lot of that, I mean, we were being so affected by what was going on around us because I was, I was, I had begun a novel and I was attempting to write a novel that was all repetition and no escalation, which you cannot have a novel that exists like that. But I felt, I was mm -hmm. like, this is the, this is our existence right now. And I was also writing a little bit by my, my mother and she was losing her memory. So she, her entire life was repetition without escalation. So how do you represent that? So I think I might have to attempt the essay form, even though I'm such a, I'm a little bit too much of a liar to do essays. Um, but let's look at this. So uh, the first section, now, did you always know this is, you're going to start in the morning like this, um, with this first section? Did that stand out for you with all those pieces of paper? Or did, it, did you have to continue to, to move them around? Yeah. So the paper was quite late. The paper was, um, uh, I didn't do that until December 28th. Um, what actually happened um, was I was I was supposed to give an online reading um, for um, for the Vermont uh, College of Fine Arts and um, MFA, uh, residency MFA program um, uh, early early January like January maybe it was the third or the fourth I didn't look up to remind myself what date it was but early early and I just didn't want to read uh, from my book yet again. Um, I wanted to read something brand new mm -hmm. and this is the only thing I've been making. And I was like, oh no, I have a blob. 
<laughs> I cannot read them a blob. <laughs> so that's when I cut it up into these little sections. And what I had been reading to try to get my head around the structure um, was Meander Spiral Explode, Jane Allison's amazing book on structure. And I had started to think, oh, what if this is a spiral structure where I'm going recursively like this? And I sort of almost trick myself into going to the thing that's actually at the heart of it. Mm -hmm. um, where I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding, kind of, kind of don't know what I'm doing, don't, but like, then I name the thing finally. Mm -hmm. um, and then also I was thinking about how do I build a structure and break it? Because I always think with an essay, um, especially an essay that follows like a very strict structure of these, these segments, um, at the sort of climactic point, like life so rarely has an actual climax, right? So you want to point the point of yeah. highest tension. And I always think that a, a way to do that is to build a structure and then rupture it in that moment. Mm. And you get an enormous amount of tension in the essay from doing that. Um, or in a book, like for, for the fact of a body, uh, these like strands start to collide. And even though I've kept them relatively separate to that point, like I, I think a lot about what's the moment when what I've been making falls apart in some interesting way because I've been trying to control a thing that can't be controlled. And mm. so here, the record, the, the things, and then it's like, okay, so what's gonna happen is we're gonna have these numbers. And then there's a point further on in the essay where, sorry, spoiler folks, um, I withhold the numbers and we skip. Like we, re we skip like that record. We don't skip ahead. We repeat, we repeat, we repeat, we're stuck like that record. And so once I realized I could do that, that I could build the numbers to break the numbers, it became about um, how do I arrange it so that the extraneous stuff falls away? We understand why we're going to that rupture point, what it is that I need to think about about the future, but that like is posing such a challenge here. Um, and then how do I teach the reader I'm gonna do that? Because I always think the essay or the book has to teach the reader how to read it. Yep. And so, Thank you, Jane Allison, who was like, go back through and find these little hints of the image you're working with. So that's where you get the record and you get the swirling lights um, with with D. Like there's a lot of um a lot of spiral imagery mm -hmm. going on. And I hope that it's operating subtly. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it's not obvious, but that it's slowly teaching the reader subconscious that this is what we're doing. Yeah. And that's so interesting because I I think um, the 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 need for that rupture and they talk about that with music that you can only because because the danger here is that we will learn what you're doing and then it'll become repetitive or it'll become it'll flatten um, and this happens in music too if you repeat the same verse too many times I think they musicians think of it as like four times is too many three is that you know if you repeat it too many times. Um, people are no longer singing along. They are tired of it. They're being beaten over the head. They get so so. There has to be a moment of of breakage where you break those expectations, and that's where the the essay rises up, the song rises up, the novel rises up. All of that. Um, and I I love thinking it. So and I think you I think you definitely are forecasting it with those symbols, but also the pieces and of themselves. There's so much air in between them for the reader to bring these parts together that we become very involved in the essay and that adds attention to it 
and an interest to it. I think that's going to drive us forward and we'll just be like, where is this writer taking me? I'm I'm there. I'm with this. I'm going to go with this. Um, you know, and the way you even speak of the pandemic about, you'd call it this unprecedented time, which I actually love because we also get really tired of the pandemic. Like even the language <laughs> used for the pandemic, we get tired of it. So there's there's just an interesting tension there that, that brings us forward. Um, and another thing I thought it was interesting is that you, you write just in that first thing, and I read it completely differently than you intended, but you said, I turn my bedside lamp on and open the novel on my nightstand. I will be in its world, not this one. And I think that's what it's like to write a novel. That's what it's like mm. to write a novel during a pandemic. I'm going to be in the world of my novel, not in the, not in the. Oh, yeah. No, it felt, I mean, it really did feel like I, you know, I had these windows that I talk about where I could see the biggest hospital um, in Maine. Oh. So I was across the street from it and the the sirens were just constant and it really felt like I'm going to shut that out. I'm just going to be in this world. And so a lot of the imagery in the early part was like, how do I make that cloistered sense on the page? I had fun with how many different things were going to come into the essay. Yeah. Um, so like that list of like queer things about the pandemic and then the horse racing Um I was just like, oh, okay, it's close to each other. You know, it's always good to like look up the meaning of the word you're working with. And I was like, oh, wow, this is unexpected. And then I learned what these horse races were. I went into like this deep research dive on these horse races. I was like, that is an incredibly obvious metaphor for gender. Yes, you're they, like, they cast out years of these horses' lives in terms of what races they're going to run before they're even born. And that's just... So you know literally what tracks they will run on before they are born. Um, and so that yeah. just seemed natural. Now, I will tell you something that still bugs me about the essay mm. is that the horses just fall away. They never come back. I mean, they're sort of like handed off to the tender, to like the, the IVF stuff, but like they just fall away. But, you know, uh, at some so point you got to finish in a way that They ruptured in a way that you weren't controlled. <laughs> yeah, that one wasn't controlled. But... I mean, a deadline's always helpful. I mean, what ended up happening is yeah. um, I read uh, the essay on that um, in that reading, and um, uh, Micah Perks was in the audience on that, and um, and she was guest editing uh, at Harvard Review. And so this has never happened to me before in my life. I read it. I got an email or email from her. I think the next day, being like, "Can we have that essay?" Um, and if the essay had a thing, I think Christina Thompson, the editor there, um, also signed off on it. And I worked with them on a couple of edits. And uh, then it found its way into the world. It was the easiest uh, publication process ever. Wow, and unexpected. And I do want to repeat again the name of that book. We've we've said it on the um, episode on the podcast before, but again, it's um, Meander Spiral. Oh shoot! Now I'm screwing it up. Explode. Explode. I missed the explode. Meander Spiral Explode by Jane Allison. And it's a wonderful book for really questioning some of these uh, structures that were automatically given. And, and, and she just talks through like all sorts of different, basically visual shapes that you can use. Um, I also want to talk about audience with you before we kind of begin to wrap up, because I think there's something really interesting you're doing here to me, and I could be wrong to me and one thing that I like about this the most is that it seems that your primary audience are is other trans readers or other trans writers. Because in number two, you say my jawline has become covered in blonde fuzz, and later in front of the mirror, I see it backlit, the fuzz so pale, and that your editor is talking about the fuzz. 
And to me, it's it's implied that your your reader um, knows this world, knows what the fuzz is about, and knows it's because you're taking testosterone. Um, and so I I really like that because I think a lot of writers avoid narrowing their audience in such a way um, so that you're really trying to reach a very particular um, person reading this and the way that they're going to make sense of it and the way they're already kind of kind of know the world that you're talking about. And in so doing, you reach the broader audience, because even though I was like, OK, this is wonderful. Um, Alex is really focusing on and making sure that we're kind of it, it seems like we're in the know. And yet I was also relating it to other things in which my body has changed. And, and so it just kind of works in that in that wonderful way, going specific on the audience in order to reach the broader audience. Um, did you intend that? Did it just happen? Did maybe I'm talking, you know, out of my whatever? Um, no, no, I definitely intended it. And I also screwed it up in some places. Mm. So I'll say like that for me is a thing I think about a lot because I write yeah. a lot of different pieces for a lot of different kinds of publications. Right. So for example, I've written a lot of op-eds talking about things related to trans rights for the New York Times. And often I am, I, I very much like the editors there, but I often, you know, at, at various points over the years, I have had some difficulty navigating questions of what they want me to explain when I'm like, why are you assuming that trans people aren't your audience as well? Right. Um, and so there's a lot of question about language. And for me, um, yes, I, I like I generally know who I'm who my ideal reader is and then who I hope everybody else is coming along with me. So for both and neither, um, I'm writing it with the hope that the historical figures would recognize themselves. If everyone else comes along, great, please do. Um, but but for the historical figures. Um, but for here, with the testosterone, with the that early thing, it's funny. I'm so in that world, of course, that I I didn't even pick up on what you're saying. Like for me, that section, I was just like, well, yes, this is what's happening. We'll explain what it is in a minute. Like we'll 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 make sure that we teach that we have the words that will tell the reader why things are happening. Yes, um, but also I'm just going to speak from my experience. In section 38, when I'm listing reversible versus irreversible um, effects. Um, it still bugs me that um, I use the phrase bottom growth, which is a phrase that is very common in the trans community. And then I freaking explained it after a comma because I got worried that people wouldn't know that phrase. And it and I I am troubled that I did that because it did for just a moment privilege a non-trans audience um, in terms of who that explanation was for. Yeah. But and I think there's an argument both ways for for and against it. Like when I imagine taking that out, I am like, well, but I do want to reach a broader audience. But then if the trans if a trans reader is reaching that moment, they may question who that explanation is for because they don't probably don't need that explanation. Um, and so who is you know being centered there? Um, I don't think there are easy answers to this, but it is absolutely something that um I think a lot about with my work, but I think really we all think must think a lot about with our work because we are all writing from inside some community. Yeah. And we have to think about whose gaze we're assuming. Um, I definitely have had pieces where I accidentally wrote a draft that like wasn't privileging the folks I was writing about and like why? Who? And I had to think about that a lot with the times. Like where initially I was, 
I was also trying to like reach a reader who I imagined to be cishet. And I'm like, like, well, why am I imagining that trans folks aren't part of the readership? You know, like that's that's internalized transphobia. So anyway, I think language is so much is interesting about what comes up in language that you you don't see when you're making it. And then you've got to like interrogate those choices in the revision process. Oh, like yeah. all the swirls. I mean, very similar to all the swirls. The swirls were there. I just had to like go through and figure out which ones were going to be intentional and and heightened. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've experienced that somewhat in writing about the Midwest, writing about the rural people mm -hmm. in the Midwest, writing about that sensibility, really? writing about those people and feeling like I'm always having to translate um, and explain and being kind of surprised sometimes. But for, here in this particular essay, though, I just felt it granted a really important intimacy that said it, 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 it it's to me, it was like, I trust you is, is what you were telling um, and, and so, and so I felt like I was already inside and, and I, and I responded that way and I thought, I thought it worked very well, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult issue to think about it in terms of audience. Okay, Alex, I'm going to have to let you go. Everyone, um, you know, you can find every, everything we've done, our whole schedule of Substack episodes on our Substack page at 7amnovelist.substack.com. We are going to do some new stuff in January, probably. So if you want to be on in the know on that, I would subscribe to the Substack page for updates. And then you can also look back at, by the end of this summer, we're going to have, I don't know, 130 episodes. And so you can look back and find those all on the Substack page or find them on your favorite podcast platforms. And if you really like what we're doing, you can follow, rate, and review the podcast. And that makes us look really popular and awesome. And then other people will find us as well. Okay, Alex, I have one last question for you. What do you, what advice do you give to authors for their first pages? I mean, there's so much to think about here. Pay attention to how you tell the story to someone whose attention you don't automatically have. So for example, um, with the fact of a body, I cast about on, I wrote all different openings, tons of different openings, um, many of which didn't work. But then whenever I was at a dinner party and like the person next to me was like someone I, whose attention I wanted, like who was like kind of attractive or interesting and like I wanted their attention, I would always start with this uh, videotape. And so I eventually realized, okay, I'm telling the story the way that I get instant feedback on like what's, what they're paying attention to. Right. Um, because when you're talking to someone, you do know when they tune out. Um, and so for me, it's always been, how do you tell the story naturally? Yeah. What comes up naturally first? And it's often my doubt that like, will make me rewrite it or like reinvent the wheel. Um, but it's often that initial impulse that works or else it's finding, um, when I, I like sort of, sort of know that I've been throat clearing with a draft mm -hmm. and I've written like 10 pages of just blah. Um, and it really comes to life over there. So it's usually like pay attention to that that gut instinct. For this essay, I will say it, it really always started this way because I it's it's I started thinking about it on that morning. Um, but I certainly tried other things, and I ended up back where then it felt natural to tell the story that way. That's interesting. It's, it's like the also the power of oral storytelling. Um, which we can mimic uh, by reading aloud our work to others in a, in a writing group situation where we will get feedback and you can feel it in the room. Yes, absolutely. Exhaustion, boredom, interest in the room before they even have to say anything. Uh, so I do think that that's a, it's a wonderful test. It also puts the critic on you really, really high when you're reading aloud and you can get bored of your own work and you're like, well, that's a problem. 
that's that's a big problem. So testing your beginnings out in an audience can be very helpful. Yes, very much. Uh, that that feeling of getting bored with your own work is dreadful, but it's so helpful. And it's so critical, I think, that we pay attention to those those gut reactions, even when they scare us because we don't know how to fix them. Like we don't know how to, we may not know how to fix the draft, but our gut knows what's actually up. And yeah. and tuning into that and paying attention to that is is just so crucial. Yeah, absolutely. Fabulous. Okay. Thank you so much, Alex, for being with us and spending the time. I think this is going to be really helpful for people. Everyone, good luck with your writing day. And again, we will probably be back doing something in January. I haven't totally planned that, but I will. Yes, everyone, thank you for starting letting me start this morning with you. Um, and good luck with your draft. Uh, we're I always feel like we're all in it together. Sort of sitting at our keyboards, facing the blank page, making words. So um, good luck this morning and Michelle, thanks so much for having me on. 